Welcome to the Grip City Golf Podcast, your source for new information, insightful interviews, and good old-fashioned banter about golf in Portland, Oregon. Today's episode is presented by Brink and Brown Sanitation. Introducing the hosts of Grip City Golf, Andy Dirk Johnson and Eric Peterson. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Welcome in episode 20 of the Grip City Golf Podcast. We've got a lot to get to on this episode. We'll recap the U.S. Open coming up in a moment. A special announcement that we've been teasing. It is all finally set, so we'll give you the details. All that is to come, but let's jump in. First-time guest here on the Grip City Golf Podcast, Christopher Smith. He's the director of instruction down at Eugene Country Club. He's a world record-holding speed golfer. We got a lot that we want to get to, Christopher, but I want to start. You did something that's been on my bucket list for a long time that I know Eric knows a lot about, and that is the Bandon Solstice event. So one, what was the driving force to want to do it? How many holes did you get in, and how was it this week? Yeah, thanks. Um, it, It was awesome. I actually stumbled into it, no pun intended, but somebody broke their leg at the last minute. And so my boys down at Bandon, who I know very well, uh, they basically pinged me and they said, hey, we have a spot. Do you want to play? And I was like, yeah, I'm in. So uh, I was last minute. We got a remarkable weather day for anybody that has played at Bandon. You know, it can be we all know it can be remarkable or awful. Um, fantastic. So uh, we played 72 holes. And then because it was so nice, we hopped over to Sheep Ranch, which was not in the Rota this year and played another nine until it got dark on a perfectly calm day at Sheep which is a rarity. So uh, I'm happy to be seated now to be doing this. this (laughs) So which courses did you play, Christopher? Yeah, so we played, our our, um, roto was, we started Pack Dunes at 620, jumped over to Trails, back to Old Mac, finished at uh, Bandon Dunes. And then, like I said, it was like, I was still walking. My legs were fine. My low back was a little wonky, but um, then hopped over to Sheep and played till, I don't know, 9, 9.15, watched the sun go down. Watch the moon come up. (laughs) (laughs) So 81 81 holes of golf in a day. Now, I got to ask, because I've always wondered, how many did you change your socks like 15 times? Like, what's the protocol for playing that much golf in a day? Yeah. Um, I brought a duffel bag that could have really could have clothed an entire small village. Um, (laughs) Socks got changed. I tried some different footwear just out of curiosity. And then, yeah, changed shirts. And um, this and that, everybody kind of does that. And then it was super, you know, classic band and dune, super well orchestrated, super well organized. They pick you up, you're on the next tee. And then, yeah, we played in whatever, two and a half, you know, hours each round, um, really without hurrying. So it was, it was fantastic. And so are you playing as a foursome? Yes. So uh, part of the reason they asked me is they don't want any threesomes out there. So everybody played as a four and, um, yeah, it was just it was just a great day. I mean, it's always great down there, regardless. But um, long day, but great day. Did, so did you, you keep track of how many strokes you had in eighty-one holes? How many times you swung a golf club? Suffice to say, we did not do a lot of practice swings. <laughs> um, energy conservation. So I actually played uh, one hundred and forty-three holes last April at Pumpkin Ridge Witch Hollow to, to raise money for the Children's Cancer Association. So I, I had the legs in me. Um, I was short on time last April. This time we weren't. So, um, yeah, it was it was a bit of a jaunt, but it's all good. I enjoy playing that way. So 143 holes at Pumpkin. That's like eight rounds of golf. Correct. Uh, Yeah, I played 143 on purpose. So Gaylord Davis, the uh, one of the co-owners and co-founders of Pumpkin Ridge, who's a dear friend 
who actually has brought the CCA uh, events to Pumpkin Ridge. He played 144 uh, maybe 10 years ago. So I said, all right, I'm going out, but out of respect to you, I will not break your record. So uh, I played 143, mostly walking. I did a little bit of running in between. I had caddies, which was nice. And uh, 143 was enough. Uh, it was great. So, so then back to Bandon and, and the, yeah. the Solstice event, did it, were there any casualties out there? Did everybody who participated make it all the way around? Yeah, I think everybody made it. Um, and then if you make it, they take your photo and hand you a, hundred, a crisp $100 bill after the 72nd hole, which was cool. Uh, I don't, I didn't, yeah, I didn't hear any like horror stories about people falling off, you know, one of the cliffs or into one of the bunkers. So successful. Somebody went over the edge of cheap ranch. So that's, that's a good sign. And and this is kind of fits in with your, your pass a little bit as a speed golfer. So you, you're well prepared to go play 72 holes in a day. So I, you know, we, we wanted to get you on to talk about a million different things, but speed yeah. golf was one of them because you've been involved with it and you were involved with it. You're a Guinness book, you know, world record holder. Um, how, how did that strike an interest in you? What was it about you, speed golf? What was it about speed golf that made you want to uh, lean into that and want to start playing that way? Yeah, so it's a, it's a good segue because I, I want a quick shout out to one of my original partners in crime with speed golf, Tim Scott. In 2013, Tim Scott, on the winter solstice at Bandon Dunes, played all four of the existing 18-hole regulation courses and the preserve, which is the 13-hole par three course in four hours and 20 minutes, which is just awesome. Um, Tim and I were in Portland in the mid nineties, late nineties, working in the golf business. And he saw an article in runner's world about a thing called speed golf. And it was, we were like, Oh my gosh, this is our calling. This is our Holy grail. And so we discovered it. We got into it. We found out we were pretty good at it because we were both, you know, pretty good players and pretty good runners and the rest is history. So we started competing in the late nineties um, organized Speed Golf International uh, shortly thereafter. And um, yeah, it's been a great run. It's, it's an interesting sport, super fun, not for everyone. And it continues to exist. There's tournaments all over the world. Uh, it has its challenges as far as, you know, growing and getting more people into it. But I just learned a lot as a, as a full-time teacher and coach and guide for the last 30 years. It's what I do for a living. It's, it's really helped me to understand, you know, how you can, um, you know, play better, more about performance, you know, even if you're not running in between shots with a half a tool set, um, it's, it's amazing what the human mind body system is able to do. And I, I think we lose that with all the tech and the, um, and the routine. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of things to be taken from speed golf for the average, as we like to call them, slow golfer. Christopher, I, so when I worked at Bandon Dunes that we hosted the world championships one year, I think it was in 2014, if I'm not mistaken. And one of my big takeaways from observing that was how many elite runners played in that. And like Bernard Lagat played that year, if you remember. And yep. um, Nick Willis, who's another Olympian yep. athlete, uh, runner, played in it. And the thought that occurred to me was that you have to be a really good runner. Like you, you have to have stamina to be able to, to run. Whereas the golf part, you can not necessarily be a hack, but you could make it around a speed golf course, so to speak. Um, if, if you've got the, the, the stamina to run that far, like if, if you were to put kind of a, a breakdown of how the percentages fall, how much of speed golf is running and how much of it is golf? 
Yeah, I, easy for me. I've said this for years. I think it's two thirds golf, one third running. And the proof in that pudding is the two people you mentioned. So um, Bernard Lagat, who's um, African born, but American citizen, arguably the greatest middle distance runner in the, in the history of this country. So Bernard was, an, was a rookie golfer. I give him a lot of credit. Um, he came down and played a phenomenal runner. Because uh, again, 18 holes of golf is maybe somewhere between three and a half and five miles. It's not a lot. It's a lot of interval training because you're running, you know, and then stopping and then going. Um, but he hit it all over the lot. So poor Bernard, I remember taking him out for a practice round, you know, and we played over at old Mac and if old Mac is, I don't know, four and a half miles, if you hit it straight, Bernard probably ran 10 miles because he was, he was hitting it sideways, um, all over the place. So I still think it favors the better golfer. Um, it's nice to have both. I know Nick Willis, who's a multiple, um, time Olympian Kiwi was a better player. And I think Nick was like an 11 handicap. So he thrived. Uh, but it's still going to favor the better golfers um, because if you hit it better and hit it straighter, it saves you time. So it's it's definitely both. But I always put the onus like if people say I want to get my speed golf score down. Everybody asked about that for listeners that are not familiar with speed golf, of which there's probably many. It's just scored like a biathlon. You add your score and your time uh, to get your total and low total wins. So if you shoot 80 in 60 minutes, your total is 140. And that's the way it's always been scored. It's pretty pure in that, in that fashion. So I just think it's always easier to save a stroke than it is a minute. Although we'd all like to be faster and, and all like to hit it better. <laughs> so what world record do, do you hold? And do you still play speed golf often? Or is it uh, not a thing as much anymore? Uh, I've semi-retired, but I will do it. And I have done it for charity purposes. So I have to have a better reason to run now. Um, a lot of miles on the odometer, nursing a torn meniscus right now, which I will heal and get back to it. Um, my record that I set in 2005 was in Chicago. We had an annual event in Chicago, which was great, the Chicago Speed Golf Classic. So I shot 65, a score of 65, which was five under par. I ran it in 44 minutes and I was carrying six clubs. So the other big takeaway is, you know, you could run it the full set, but that would be awfully heavy. And so when you only play with limited clubs, you're definitely having to be more creative, <clears throat> excuse me, and hit shots um, rather than just, um, you know, full swinging everything and hitting it high and far. So it's just one of the many, you know, many lessons and takeaways from speed golf. So, yeah, 65, 44 minutes, six clubs. And that record's still in the Guinness Book of World Records. Cool, man. And, and so, Christopher, so what is the status of speed golf today? Yeah, you know, it's still it's still around and it, there are still events like I shared with you guys before we came on air. Uh, it's it's really made a lot of strides in New Zealand, of all places, uh, and Japan. Uh, there are events all over the United States. Small events could be anywhere from 10 to 20 people, which the initial events at Bandon Dunes were back in the day when Mr. Kaiser was kind enough to give us the golf course to play a speed golf event. So I, I we've all gone People ask me, you know, why has speed golf not grown? Why has it not gotten bigger? You know, you see like, you know, like pickleball is a great example. That is the most popular sport in the world by far right now. Well, anybody can play pickleball and it's really accessible. So the challenge with speed golf, if you think about it, and as we all know, there can't be anybody in front of you. So unless you're able to go out really early in the morning and stay out of the way of the greens crew or somehow work at a golf course and play later, it's really hard to play. So um, that's always been a challenge in its growth. 
but it remains uh, a thing. There are championships here and there. And like I said, the Kiwis and the, the Japanese, uh, it's really thrived in those areas. Maybe they were inspired by Nick Willis. Possibly. Yeah, they, um, I don't know what the deal is, but they have a couple couple tournaments every year. I've not been over. I'd love to go. Uh, I got to get in the super duper like old Tom Morris division now since I don't move very fast. <laughs> as somebody who I know you you refer to normal golfers as slow golfers, which I, I, I love that phrase. And I as somebody who I, I think one of the biggest problems the sport faces is slow play on local munis because it's just hard to commit that much yeah. time for people with families and they can turn into five, six hour days. We have to take driver tests and you have to know the rule of the road and all of that in order to get a driver's license. Agree or disagree for your average Muni course, we should make people take some form of a speed golf training. Don't have to run, but let's pick up the pace a little bit. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up too, because it's come back into the, you know, it's always been there. But the pace of the play issue has come back yet again in the last, let's say, six to nine months. I mean, let's face it, golf has gone from not very interesting in the last year to incredibly interesting, for better or for worse. Um, I think where people are missing it, like, yeah, you could find people big time. Like, if you know, if you get out of place or you play slow, find somebody $50,000, $100,000 because of the amount of money they make. But I think where people are missing the boat is they don't realize that if they played a little bit faster, you know, not necessarily running, obviously, but a little bit faster, they would play better. So if you ask everybody on the planet, hey, would you like to play better? Everybody raises their hand, you know, from last week's winner, Wyndham Clark, um, to somebody that shoots 150. And then if you said, hey, if you played a little less deliberately, a little less consciously, a little more intuitively, a little more athletically, a little bit more instinctively, like what happens when you play speed golf, you will play better. That's the angle that I would take to increase pace of play rather than threatening fines or whatever else it may be. I just, cause everybody, everybody wants to play better. And um, in a sport where less is more, I think taking, you know, less time helps people play better uh, without running, obviously. Do you think, do you think that a, a, a part of why people play so slow, Christopher, and, and maybe deliberately is the word that they would use to describe how they play is, is yeah. because they see what players on TV do? No question. There's no question, you know, so we can, um, um, I'd be happy to sit here for the rest of the time we have and trash every single professional golfer in the world right now. Um, because apparently enough is there's enough is never enough, but we imitate the best in the world. We always have. And so when we see incredibly slow play on TV, whether it's for the U S open or anything else, we equate that with, Hey, this must be um, the best way for me to play. And then I disagree. And so if people want to see uh, um, the, the best way to appreciate um, speed golf, by the way, I think is a video we did. You might have been there, Eric, uh, in 2011, 2012, uh, that is on YouTube. So if you if you just Google or go to YouTube and look up Bandon Dune Speed Golf Christopher Smith, you will see a round that we shot as a promotional video where I shot uh, 68 in 53 minutes with six clubs. So I would hope that might have people um kind of scratch their head and say hey maybe in being a little less deliberate a little more reactive that's what happens in speed golf i can play better and again people are greedy in that aspect everybody wants to play better but i mean it's funny to meld these two things together because you've been an instructor for so long is there yeah. something to the mental side of it you think as well where you're just you don't have as much time to think about or dwell on bad shots when you're just going out for the next one yeah absolutely 
um, there's that in that, you know, if you hit a crappy one, instead of lamenting it for the next five to seven minutes before your next one, you got to get on, you got to leave it behind and get on with your business. And then just from a playing standpoint, uh, you know, the beautiful thing about speed golf is it becomes more reactive, like all these other sports and all these other things we do, like when we're driving a car or we're skiing down a hill or we're playing tennis, something happens and you react to it. And so rather than having time to overthink it or think about it too much, which happens to most of us. So there's a time and a place for, you know, deliberate practice where you're actually working on certain skills. And then there's a time and a place to react and, and go and play. So I think that's where speed golf helps people not to, not to make you hurry, but just to help you be a bit more athletic and reactionary to what's going on. Christopher, do you think that in your teaching, when you're, working with people there at Eugene Country Club, is there a way that you can kind of share some of the, the things that you've learned about how playing faster is better without telling someone to play speed golf? I know you'd mentioned kind of some of the reactionary athlete things. Is, are there specific things that when someone's standing on the first tee going out to play their round, are there some things that they could maybe have in their head that might equate to speed golf tendencies that, that mm. you could apply literally just to an 18 hole round on a Saturday? Yeah, like I can give you a, a tee to green, just one hole of what would happen in speed golf that I think would help people. So just off the tee, you know, one of the killers in speed golf are lost golf balls. So not only does it make um, does it make your score go up, it makes your time go up. Because you got to run back, right? You do, unless you unless you hit a provisional. Now, that being said, we know now at the highest levels of golf, all the way to down to, you know, high school or whatever, if you don't hit it far today, you are not going to be competitive. The game has changed immensely since I grew up playing it in the 70s and 80s. That being said, uh, I would tell people, get the ball in the fairway off the tee, whatever that means. So maybe it's a driver, maybe it's a three wood, maybe it's a seven wood, maybe it's a long iron, first things first. Secondly, we know this, and it's backed by neuroscience, that every second you're bringing in, we are bringing in 11 million bits of information through the senses we know of. That is a lot of information. So after you hit that drive, all we really need is kind of a ballpark. The brain works a lot better in ballpark concepts. It doesn't work particularly well unless you're an elite player saying, hey, I have 157 and a half yards, you know, to the hole. So once you get to your golf ball, you need to ballpark the yardage. And then one of my favorite phrases, and this is all backed in statistics, is the middle of the green never moves. So people shoot higher scores because they think they're way better than they are and they're shooting at pins, they short side themselves, and then they don't get up and down. So get the ball in the fairway, ballpark your distance to the middle of the green. As you're going up to the green, this is where walking or running is so much better than riding. Again, think about the amount of information that's coming into our system and 10 million bits of that is visual. You've already read the green pretty much by the time you get to your ball. So you have to go with that as far as a green read, and then your ball is, is close or in the hole. So those are just things that I think we can all do. I question, I always tell people, you know, in the 30 years that I played speed golf, I've never taken a practice swing. Not that it's detrimental, but it's not necessary, especially if it doesn't have the proper purpose. The other thing is, is get used to certain clubs become acquainted with them. I think most people, especially newer players, they got 14 clubs. They don't know what to do with them all. So there's a lot of different takeaways from speed golf that you can apply to, to normal traditional golf. 
No wonder I'm always chunking my wedges, man. I got 11 million bits of information coming in my mind. I yeah. can't process that much. It's probably worse now, you guys, because, you know, now we have everything manageable, you know, Insta, YouTube, everything, you know, and everybody, uh, everybody's an expert. And yeah. so it's my business because um, it's not helping people get better. Well, I mean, on that note, I am curious how you, I, I mean, that's got to be really tough for you. I, we got to let you go here in a second, but I've, I, there's so many Instagram teaching modules that show up on my feed that I yeah. don't, I'm almost overwhelmed as, as a teacher of the game. It's almost like doctors tell you, don't Google your symptoms because you'll find out you're going to die and probably have cancer. Do you feel the same way about Instagram, you know, instructor reels? Because they're all over the map. I find, yeah, that's a great question. I have to troll those things because I'll have students that come and say, hey, I saw this on Instagram. And I usually just say, let me just ask you one question. That person that you saw on Insta or, not, you know, or wherever, or YouTube or wherever, have they ever seen you play? And the answer is no. Have they ever seen you swing? No. Then how in the world can they help you? And we all get suckered into it because it's free. And like I always tell people, what's, what's the perceived value of free? Not much. So if you were really, if you weren't feeling well, back to the, you know, the medical example, would you just go, go to WebMD and say, well, maybe this will work? No, you would go to a specialist. And so like, I firmly believe we are all a case study of one. So you you need what's going to help you, not what's going to help the masses uh, or what is sexy on Instagram or the smart talkers or this sounds cool. Um, to me, I'm just I'm a little disappointed in the industry because I've been doing that so long that that's what it's come to. Like it's it's not it's not skirts and skin that help people get better at golf. That might be what sell it or somebody who's going to talk fancy or look good, sound cool like I don't really give a shit about that. I want people to get better. So if you want to get better, go see an expert like we do in everything else. There we go. I Dirt, Dirt gets his swing advice from Paige Baranek. Is that, <laughs> is that still your main teacher, Dirt? Yeah. She te Beautiful. That's why I'm always chunking my wedges. I'm following her lessons too many times. <laughs> hey, Chris, be before we let you go, we wanted to hit you with a couple kind of fast questions because this is about yeah. speed golf and we're talking to you. So we got to hit you with some fast questions here. The first is back to you talking about professional golfers and how slow they play. Is there yeah. a is there a PGA tour player or an LPGA tour player that you think would be the the best speed golfer out there? Maybe they've actually played speed golf and they know of or but at least someone who you feel like has kind of some of the DNA to to be a good speed golfer. You're talking about how they play or how they look. Might be a combo of both because maybe you just look at someone and say, "Yeah, that he could probably he or she could probably run around yeah. pretty fast and hit it pretty straight." Nobody plays a lot faster than Brooksy Kepka. He'd be awesome at speed golf. He, he'd have to stay out of the weight room and, and log a few more miles, which would hurt his body. But just the way he approaches it, you know, when you watch him play, it's like if, if he's not the first guy to play. As soon as the first guy in the group, the other guys have hit, he hits. So that sort of mentality, I think, is great. Uh, there are certainly people that we can pick. Obviously, Pat, Patrick Cantlay's got a lot of flack the last few months for playing super slow. I just think people like that would be shocked if they just picked it up a little bit. And there's ways to track this. There ways. There's ways to measure it that they would actually hit better shots if they were uh, if there was a little less time and less deliberate. What about your dream speed golf foursome? Maybe it's Kepka and Cantlay and someone else. But is there someone else out there? And, and they don't have to be on the professional tours now. But is there anyone out there that you'd love to play a speed golf round with? That's a dangerous question because I think about that. Most of the people I'd like to play golf regular golf with are dead. Cause I think there'd be some interesting people to play with. Obviously 
I'm a big track and field guy. I was born and raised in Eugene, Oregon. So track town USA. Um, wow. I mean, I was lucky. So I got to play, you know, I still keep in touch with Bernard Legat, who's again, just in what, the greatest middle distance runner of all time. Also one of the nicest guys too. I couldn't believe talking with him afterward about, you know, like you said that he's not the best golfer, but man, he was grateful to be out there just running around playing golf. <laughs> you know, what? and he hasn't changed Eric. I saw him here last, last year for the world championships and he's just, he is gracious. Yeah. Uh, humble and he's gracious which is is kind of is so rare in this day and age you know the guy that actually did quite a bit of running and i'm sure it didn't help his body back in the day was tiger tiger loved to run um he would have been great to play with uh i think about maybe some some old school you know like usain would be fun to play with uh although sprinters normally go too hard at first and then they poop out so i think a lot of tour players could probably do it and i, I think they'd be surprised at how well they hit it and then last one for you is what is your elevator pitch for someone to, that has never played speed golf to just, you know what, man, just yeah. do it. Yeah. It's interesting Eric, because I find that the, the, the runners aren't afraid to do it. It's the, it's the better golfers that are afraid that their game's going to get worse until they do it. So to your point, you know, to bar borrow the Nikeism, just go do it and, and give it a try. They might be really surprised, like Tim Scott and I were the first time we played. I was like, holy crap, everything I used to believe in, you know, pre-shot routine, practice swings, this and that. It just blew up my whole paradigm about performance. And that was fascinating. And that got my mind working. And I reached into and out to, you know, neuroscientists and uh, human performance experts. So I think people have to taste it. And I, I've taken people... Um, and just had them go out and say, hey, just let's just go play one hole, right? I'll caddy for you, right? And then usually their eyes light up by the time they get to the first green. That's like, where's the next tee? So it's, um, it's fascinating what happens and, uh, you know, from a performance standpoint and what you can actually do if you trust your system. I love it. Great stuff. Christopher Smith, he's the director of instruction at Eugene Country Club, a world record holder, and he's fresh off the band and solstice. Christopher, thanks so much for hopping on the pod, man. We appreciate it. My pleasure, you guys. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon. Well, what do you think, EP? Uh, you have you have a little bit more of a body for speed golf than I do. I, I don't know if I quite have the frame for distance running, but uh, I'm in. I, I'm always about trying to get people to play faster, and if this helps, I'm I'm on board with speed golf. Just do a taste, man. Do one hole. It's like going to a, a winery and doing a tasting. You don't have to go buy a case of wine. Just get do a tasting. Do one hole, three holes. It's actually a really good idea where you can even on your own, like, cause it's tough to do 18. I'd imagine to his point, you got to get the whole course cleared and all that. But if you're just in a group and you're playing on a hole and the other group in front of you is already cleared, you can go play a speed hole right there. Just do it yeah. when you're out on a Saturday. Maybe you could have a regular round of golf with your buddies. And the last three holes though, are scored as speed golf. So it's have 16 holes of whatever you shot. And then your last three are it's a speed golf score. So it's not just what you got on those holes, but also your time. I love it. It's a, it's a good idea. And in the era where we all have push carts too, I mean, it's perfect. You don't even, you can don't even have to pare down your bag. You just put, it's like pushing a stroller three holes. It's no big deal. <laughs> what would you know about pushing a stroller? <laughs> I got no clue, man. I got nothing. Well, I love it, dude. That was, that was awesome. We, we tried to hook up with Christopher last week and he had some scheduling stuff and then he was at band and solstice. So he was kind enough to carve out a few minutes for us. And uh, we really appreciate the time there. 
Let, let's get to a quick recap of the U.S. Open before we let you know what's coming up in August that we're excited about. We had an Oregon Duck win the U.S. Open at a course that Eric Peterson himself has played. So like a three-pronger for you, buddy. What did you make of seeing a Duck win? What were your thoughts about seeing LACC on TV after playing it yourself? And then the big complaint was the, the crowd and the atmosphere and the lack of fans. Just what, what did you make of the weekend and what we saw down in L.A.? Yeah, man, I, I thought it was really cool to see. It was cool to see Wyndham Clark finally break through at Quill Hollow and, and get his first win because he showed flashes. But as you know, it's hard to get over that hump and, and win your first tour event. So to see him do that was awesome. And, and it kind of it felt like there were more things to come. It, it's like whenever you see a certain player win their first PGA Tour event, you just sort of feel like they're going to win more. It's just a matter of when. And, and of course, not a lot of people thought that Wyndham Clark would would win the U.S. Open. And heck, I mean, a lot of people didn't think he was going to win when he was tied with Ricky going into Sunday, right? I mean, there were a lot of really good players with a lot of championship pedigree that were nipping at his heels right up until the final hole, especially at a U.S. Open, right? It can go sideways really fast. And especially if it's someone who hasn't been there before, you're just waiting for that hole where they make an eight or something. And when he hit it left on, what was that six or something where he hit into that really long stuff and like whiffed his first shot. And you're thinking like, okay, this is going to be the hole. And then he hacked it out long and then got it up and down for bogey. And it was like, wow, he like righted that ship right away. I mean, I know that a lot of folks were birdie in that hole, but for him to just make six and move on, you're like, okay, Seems like he's still got a good head on his shoulders. And then he just had a couple other holes coming down the stretch where could have been bogey. And he ended up, it was, what was it on 17 where he got it up and down for par. I mean, there were just some moments where you sort of thought that, okay, maybe this is when Rory's going to step on his throat and win this thing. I know you were probably maybe in the back of your mind, hoping that was going to happen, but (laughs) yeah, I just thought that he, it was impressive that he won. But it was even more impressive that he held his own amidst all those other really good players that were right there with him. And then, I mean, even, I don't know about you, but when he had 60 feet or whatever that was on 18, like two putts for par, you're just like, oh man, he's going to, he's going to put this up to like five feet. And then I'm going to have to stand up and put my hand and my hands in my hair and <laughs> like, oh God. You know, were you thinking that? I was thinking the same thing. If I had that putt and I'm playing in some sort of tournament, I can guarantee you right now that I would leave that putt seven feet yeah. short and give myself the most uncomfortable par putt of all time. And he hit it up there to a foot or something and made it. So yeah, super impressive what he did. As far as me playing it, I mean, there's a lot of listeners who have played a US Open course before, so it's certainly not uncommon. But I think that the common thing, and I've played a, a few others too, like Beth Page and, and Tory Pines and... um I think the common theme amongst all of them that I've played is that it's a completely different golf course. (laughs) It's, I mean, it, not only is it a different set of tees, obviously, but the rough is different. The green speeds are different. The pressure obviously is different. I mean, I played it um, when the ducks were in the Rose bowl and what was that 2011 or something when we beat Wisconsin. But um, so we just had the opportunity to go play it and, and it's awesome. I mean, the things that I remember about it the most were how many different shots you had to hit. There were dog leg lefts, there were dog leg right. And so every hole looked different. And 
like one of the things that I've always loved about say abandoned trails or some of the other courses that I think are some of my favorite I've ever played. One of the reasons why I love them so much is that every tee box you stand on it and you think, well, this looks cool. What do we, what do we do here? And not that you're confused. Like there's a lot of blind shots, but more of like, wow, I see what we're supposed to do here, but this is really interesting. And LACC fit that for me that it would, there were just a lot of different, different holes and different shots you could hit. And it, it was, it was really fun. And like I said, it was a totally different golf course. So I can't really say that I've played a U.S. Open venue because it, it's, it's just, it's a different course. So, yeah. um, but it, yeah, I think, and then the, the last thing about the, the crowd and stuff. Yeah. I was bummed. I, I was watching on TV and I'm curious what you thought about this, but before I even read, I'm not as big on social media as you are to see like what people are saying about what's going on. But I, I noticed on, on Thursday that it just didn't seem, you didn't have like the, especially at a U.S. Open where the crowds can get kind of boisterous and rowdy, kind of the common man, so to speak. It, it just didn't sound like that those folks were there or at least to a, a smaller number. And then you hear the, the statistics of how many tickets were available to the general public, et cetera. Yeah, it was, it was kind of a bummer. And I'm, I'm just, it, it's surprising that the USGA, it seemed like they had to have known that that might be a thing as they're looking at the numbers ahead of the tournament. Like, oh, there's only so many GA tickets available and that have sold. And therefore it's going to kind of change the dynamic of the tournament. I can't imagine that they were caught off guard by that. And if that's true, why did they let that happen? I know that they didn't have as much space as like a big ballpark might where you can pack thousands and thousands of people in there, but it seems like there's still got to be a way that you can make sure that the atmosphere feels like a major championship. And to me, it, it just didn't quite have the same sort of sizzle that other U.S. Opens have. What did you think? I totally agree. I thought it was the biggest bummer of the weekend, to be honest with you. I, I loved the golf course, and I was curious to get your thoughts because you played it. I, I thought the layout was beautiful. I loved the different you know angles and the different shots that you can make. Like I thought the sixth hole made for one of the coolest holes in U.S. Open history, and it ended up being a relatively easy hole score-wise. But watching different guys say, I'm not risking it. I'm just hitting my you know whatever iron down here to the left, and I'm going to play off the bank and chip one on the green watching the guys that say I could hit three wood there, watching the guys that try and hit driver down there that could get in trouble. I, I love that, that everybody can come at it from a different angle and everybody's going to have a different strategy. And there was no right or wrong strategy. Some guys that laid up played it great. Some guys that went for it played it great and vice versa didn't play it well. And so I, I love the intricacies of a golf course like that. And, the, and your thoughts on being on every tee box and kind of looking out and saying, this is cool. Like I could hit this here. I could hit this here. I could go this way. I could go that way. Like, there's a lot of courses that I feel like I almost get bored when it's driver wedge, driver wedge, driver wedge, driver wedge, just over and over and over again. And it just takes the strategy and the nuance out of it. So for that angle, I loved it. And then your thing on fans, like it, it sucked, man. There, there were times where there was a little pocket of the course that was kind of tucked away on the front nine that it, I felt like I was watching a web.com event. You couldn't hear a fan. There was nobody visible. There in some, the only thing you could hear was like monkeys from the Playboy Mansion. And there's like two golfers on a green, like this is a U.S. Open. That's a birdie putt on Sunday. And there's like, is anybody here? Is there any fans there? So I'm with you. I don't know if it was the USGA. I don't know if it was 
LA country club saying, you know, if you want to have it here, we want our members to have access to X amount of tickets and they're not going to give them out. I, I don't know what it was, but whatever led to that is something that they need to nip in the bud immediately. Because one of the things that I think we all love about the U S open, it's our national tournament. We know the course is going to be brutal. And after Thursday, it was the conditions were just perfect on Thursday, but the atmosphere and the crowd and the, the, you know, the big throngs of people walking from hole to hole. That's what we love about a U.S. Open. And it, it did feel like just that was the only aspect of it this weekend to me that sucked a little bit. Not there were some photos, to your point, of tee boxes or, or areas of the course that were kind of tucked away, not as, not as many people. Like at, a, at Augusta National, there's little corners like the 12th green, for example, 12, where there's no fans around there. Yeah. But, the, but what was different about this to me is that there were a few fans. So it's like, you can get there, but there were only a few people there. And so yeah. you're asking, you're, you're kind of scratching your head. Like, well, what, who's allowed back there? And why aren't there more people standing within six feet of, of the best players in the world hitting like what? Right. So it, part of it was just kind of confusing and maybe the USGA had some explanation for it, but to me, they need to protect what the U S open is. And it's very much the people's championship, right? It's the U S open. And so you get these crowds that are raucous and, and who, who, who was pulling the strings on that? I, I don't know. It was probably, like you said, maybe some, the membership had something to do with it, but I think if you're going to host it, man, you got to be all into what the USGA model is. And so yeah. if the USGA gave in to that in order to get a US open there, I, I kind of, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I also don't think that if, if you're the, if you're LACC, why not? make it a spectacle and let thousands of people see what that place is all about. I mean, it's obviously in a huge TV market. The thing to me that's weird is that there's not that many West coast sites available anymore that could host a U.S. open. You know, you and I have talked about pumpkin Ridge and I think Peter Jacobson came on in one of our first episodes and he had said that pumpkin Ridge is probably the only venue like in, in the Northwest that could realistically host a U.S. open and it probably won't happen, right? Not necessarily for political reasons, but just it's just not quite long enough and brawny enough to be a US Open venue anymore because of equipment. But it just goes to show you that, I mean, it's obviously there's a huge value to the USGA having a West Coast US Open venue for the primetime TV, right? But there just aren't that many options. I mean, yeah. and so maybe that's LACC's wishes to keep the crowds a little smaller if that's what they wanted because of that, because they're like, we need a U.S. Open on the West Coast. And Riviera, I think, is on the schedule later. But yeah, it's a bummer that we're even talking about this, right? It should be all about who won and how amazing it was. And it was an incredible finish right to the end, right? And, yep. and uh, But there's kind of that sub-bar narrative, uh, how we're talking about the course, too, and not necessarily in a positive light. So It's really the first major of the year that's come down to the 18th green. I mean, you know, Rom kind of ran away with it. Brooks didn't play well Sunday at Augusta. You had pretty tight between Brooks and, and Hoblin at the at the PGA, and then Hoblin had the ball that hit the limp, lip of the, the bunker, and it stayed in. It's kind of like, all right, Brooks is going to win this with a few holes to go. This one, to your point, came all the way down. I did see they announced Riviera, I think, in like 2031. But to your point, they're desperate to have him out here because I don't know if you saw, the, the TV ratings, again, were massive. And they're always massive when it's on the West Coast because you get the later TV window. People on the West Coast can get up and do things in the morning and then watch in the afternoon. And people on the East Coast love watching golf in the evening. So it's a it's a win-win. Hopefully it continues to happen on the West Coast. But to your point, uh, not a lot of options. But U.S. Open came and went. Only, isn't it crazy to think only one more major this year? It's almost done. Yeah, but the good news is then football's right around the corner. So That's true. And you got a Ryder Cup this year, too. So we got all that drama still to unfold.
Let's get to the bigger tournament, though, than the U.S. Open. The big, the big news this week is not Wyndham Clark. No offense to Wyndham Clark. It is that we have teased that we wanted to put on a Grip City Golf uh, official tournament for, you know, since we started the pod, thought it'd be fun. We announced a few episodes ago that we were going to do something on Monday, August 7th. That was about as vague of an announcement as you could have. How many people, what format, what time? Nobody knew. We just, we, we knew that was going to be the date. Uh, well, we've been working behind the scenes. And if you don't follow us on social media, you might have missed this, but we tweeted it out and announced it. We are teaming up with our friends at Northwest Golf Guys, who I'm sure most of our listeners play in their events and you know them well. We've had Travis on the podcast before. We're teaming up with them Monday, August 7th. There will be an individual stroke play joint tournament, Grip City Golf, Northwest Golf Guys. The sign-up sheet is officially open. It's, it's capped at 120 players. So if you want to sign up, these the Northwest Golf Guys events go pretty quick. So don't hesitate. Make sure you go sign up. It will be a 12 p.m. shotgun start at the beautiful Persimmon Country Club. And I can't wait, man. We're, act, we're, we're doing a tournament. This is going to happen Monday, August 7th. If I pay double, do I get to play with Andy Durr Johnson or is that in the cards? <laughs> if you come slip me a crisp $100 bill like you get at the end of the Bandit Solstice, you can play in my foursome. Do we have an official name for the tournament? Is it, is it the Grip City Classic presented by Northwest Golf Guys or is there a co-branding requirement with those guys that it needs to be the Grip City Golf, Northwest Golf Guys, something? We got to figure out the name. I'm, I'm with you on that. I actually had to go pick up some trophies from my nephew's little league baseball team this week. <laughs> and when I was in there, I was kind of scouting around. Now we might have to go get a grip city gla- uh, classic trophy and hand that thing out to whoever, like low gross, low net. We'll figure out how we can, how we can do that. I did want it. So for listeners, I want to play with listeners and I'm sure you feel the same. So I wanted to do this on the podcast where only the diehard listeners will get this opportunity. The first three people that tweet me, that they want to play with me because if you haven't signed up for Northwest golf guys event, the way it works, you register and then you can enlist, enlist your playing partners. Who do you want to play with? And so usually I'll go play with friends or family members at their other events. I want to play with listeners. So the first three listeners, whoever lit, whenever you listen to the pod, you send me a tweet, say, I want to play with you on Monday, August 7th. We'll sign up and I'll play with you on Monday, August 7th. Boom. Man of the man of the people, EP man of the people, baby. So, so it's, I can't so, wait. So it's, gr- it's gross and net individual stroke play that's the format that's the format and if you haven't played in their events they have different flights so it's you know the the high handicappers like or i get low depending on how you define you, you know the golfers like eric peterson will be teamed with other golfers like other uh, eric peterson that's who you compete against so i think it's like handicaps you know one through five six through ten eleven through fifteen sixteen through twenty so you're not competing against somebody that's way better or way worse than you that can sandbag or any of those allegations you're just you're competing against the folks who are around your level of play and that's the best way to do it. So there's going to be payouts for all the different flights and long drives, KPs. It's they're just going to, you know, they do a, a skins game. So when you play, you can pay $5 to get into the grosser net skins game. So they, they do such a good job and it's why we wanted to team up with them to put this tournament on. And I cannot wait again, only 120 spots. So uh, make sure you go sign up fast and you got a chance to beat Eric Peterson in golf. Obviously. I'm a, I'm a six handicap. So I'm going to be, it sounds like in the B flight or whatever that is. Hey, should we incorporate some sort of speed golf element into it? Mm. Or maybe that's like the sugar nine afterward is we're going to go out and play nine holes of speed golf. We'll have to talk with Zach and the team at Persimmon, but it'd be fun be. to incorporate speed golf somehow. Of all the speed golf courses you could play, now that you've played Persimmon, you know, not the, not the easiest of speed golf courses. The whole, the, the, from one green to the next tee, some, some of those are not easy. 
it's a bit of a run. But only run the only the strong survive, man. That, that's what that's why speed <laughs> golf is there. It's like a, it's like a speed golf horse race at the end of the tournament. Everybody yeah. runs. Whoever's first one, the last Dude. one standing wins an event. Hey, I like this. We're cooking up new ideas. So again, we tweeted it out. If you want to go find the information, uh, Eric's going to have it up on our website, gripcitygolf.com. You can find it at northwestgolfguys.com. Again, on our Twitter page, at Grip City Golf. Monday, August 7th, uh, we're teaming up with Northwest Golf Guys for a tournament. Cannot wait out at the beautiful Persimmon Country Club. And thanks to them for teaming up with us uh, on this thing to, to get this tournament launched. So can't wait, buddy. And uh, that'll do it, man. We got to, I don't know when we're going to drop this episode. So for full disclosure, we're taping on draft night and the Blazers are about to select. So by the time you listen to it, we're going to be depressed. Uh, but I, I got to Maybe we're going to be happy. We could be happy, but it's the Blazers. So likely going to be depressed. Maybe the Frenchman will slide to three. Ooh. Ooh, I like it. Hey, you, Yusuf Nurkic in three for number one. You think San Antonio says yes? Oh, my God. <laughs> no way. Oh, I love it, man. Hey, buddy. Well, uh, thanks for setting up Christopher Smith, man. He was awesome. Thanks, everybody, for listening to episode 20 of the Grip City Golf Podcast. Again, make sure to subscribe and download and uh, give us a follow on social media at Grip City Golf. Hope to see you all out on uh, Monday, August 7th at Persimmon Country Club. Until next time, go low, everybody. Well, I've won and lost against the best. This old road's been a hell of a test. I'm still driving. I ain't slowing down. There's rules I love to break and bend Mistakes I've made again and again But I tell you this, my friends, I'm still around I hit it hard, man So far, man No laying up, no holding back Ain't afraid of nothing, it's a natural fact I hit it long, man Till it's gone, man Keep taking chances, living large People would have given up by now All the rough I've seen, these ups and downs Somehow I just keep on playing through 